Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hi, welcome to Fever Dreams. Uh, my name's Will Summer. I'm a political reporter at The Daily Beast and the author of an upcoming book on QAnon for HarperCollins. And I'm Aswin Subtang, but please call me Swin. I'm a senior political reporter at The Daily Beast and co-author of the book Sinking in the Swamp. All right, here on Fever Dreams, we're going to take you on plunges into the sometimes hilarious and sometimes scary world of the American right as they continue to influence our politics. Even in the aftermath of the Trump administration, the energy of these conspiracy theorists, these grifters, and these influencers is still pushing our mainstream political landscape closer and closer to a breaking point. Welcome to Fever Dreams. I'm Will Summer, and we're joined once again by guest host... Kelly Weil. Kelly, how you doing? I'm all right. And Will, I promise never to tweet an anime video in which I uh, depict myself <laughs> killing you. <laughs> just imagine like an anime video of you just like really beheading me. And I kind of like look across the office like, hmm. I love it. Like it's Congress is really the only place where there's no sufficient HR uh, department to be like, hey, it, is this over the line? Do you think I should be doing this? <laughs> That's how, you know, we, we had, obviously we had to take a classic workplace training. And I think that would be at least an orange light moment. <laughs> where it's like, you know, you're getting into the red zone there. So, yeah, obviously we're referring to here is uh, Arizona Congressman Paul Gosar tweeting an anime video with his face imposed on it. Uh, beheading Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, attacking Joe Biden uh, violently. Kelly, what do you make of this? I hate to distill everything into cringe, but it's cringe. Like, (laughs) you are a dentist, for God's sake. Like, you don't need to be tweeting these Attack on Titan memes. So this was Attack on Titan, right? I think it was Attack on Titan, yeah. Uh, My my anime knowledge is a little uh, slippery, but... Well, that's the one with the big guys, the big guys. And so this is a video of uh, Paul Gosar. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, for for that matter, I doubt that Paul Gosar is personally an Attack on Titan fan either. Um, I I think it was more the the message in there rather than a uh, sincere expression of anime appreciation. Well, and actually, let's get into that. I mean, so, okay, okay. So obviously, the top line on this story is uh, not good, not a great sign for the, you know, the state of the country, state of the right to be be tweeting, you know, your anime assassination uh, fantasies. But it, but I, I think the thing that interests me as well is that this idea that, like, Paul Gosar has become this meme lord. And, you know, I mean, this is not the first time he's posted one of these memes. Um, you know, a few months ago, he posted this one where it was, like, Paul Gosar picking up a prostitute. It was a cartoon. And then she, she says, you know, $50 for whatever you want. And he said, can you tell everyone America first is inevitable? Uh, which is, you know, a reference to the white nationalist uh, group uh, America First. Uh, so the yeah, I mean, so there's like a lot going on here. And this is something I've wondered for a while is who on Gosar's staff is the meme lord. I doubt Gosar is watching Attack on Titan. This kind of reminds me of um, the classic era of like the Carpe Donctum video. What do you think of that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, these are these are a little uh, niche the Carpe Donctum ones were really going for like kind of a... Uh, a widespread Facebook audience. But yeah, you get someone who has, you know, basic, um, 
Adobe editing skills and you slap somebody's face on a well-known anime and everyone has to opine about it for 48 hours. It's really just exhausting. <laughs> Outside the, you know, underlying message of political violence, it's just like, it, it's, um, it's just really annoying to have to mediate our politics through cartoons, basically, which incidentally is kind of what's going on with uh, the Big Bird fight as well. It's been a great weekend for um, really, really highbrow art house uh, film film references in Congress. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. I mean, you know, we're talking about Corbett Donald, I'm talking about this anime video. I feel like a lot more of uh, our current politics is mediated than I expected through like obvious like crappy uh, video editing software. Like there's this there's this thing they do now where they take someone's picture and they can, it is really big on Telegram and then they can kind of like move the mouth to like do a song. Oh. And so it'll be like Lynn Wood singing bad to the bone and this is like hugely successful it's, it's i mean it's jib jab it's jib jabs it's, yes. it's like you know it, it, everything circles back we're gonna do it, all, all the greatest hits of the internet we got jib jab soon we'll be back on home star runner all the stuff <laughs> i like it it's vintage it's a this is comfortable playing field for me uh yeah let's do it let's throw it back Paul Gosar is in some hot water online, but it doesn't look like he's going to face any legal trouble for this tweet. That's a bit different from another longtime friend of the show, Mr. James O'Keefe. Will, what's going on with James these days? Yes, so political prankster prince James O'Keefe may soon be facing some James O'Grief in a courthouse. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot going on here, James O'Keefe, legal-wise. But I think the most interesting one has been chronicled in the New York Times over a few articles over the past few days. Uh, I would say things are really escalating uh, for James O'Keefe and Project Veritas. You know, for a young man who once dressed up as a pimp and tried to lure a cable news reporter onto a boat filled with sex toys, things have gotten pretty crazy. So uh, the FBI raided three locations associated with James O'Keefe and Project Veritas, uh, one of his associate's apartments, I believe, uh, as well as James O'Keefe's house. And you might say, whoa, things are really getting stepped up on James O'Keefe. So the backstory here is that, and this was a story that, that really like was barely even touched in the right wing media, I think because it was so hot, um, like legally hot. And, and I think very, very cruel, even by uh, the standards there. So this was the case of Joe Biden's daughter, Ashley Biden's diary, which was posted online by Patrick Howley, who is sort of like a, a very cut rate right wing reporter. And, you know, I believe he, you know, he kind of circulated through DC right wing media and has sort of uh, washed out and, and sort of ends up kind of carrying the water for a lot of uh, a lot of like stuff. Uh, he, notably, he was uh, he was the guy who found the Ralph Northam uh, blackface picture. Didn't yeah he he bounced from like what Breitbart to big league politics I think something like that classic career trajectory. That's exactly right. And 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 this is a guy who even you know is kind of a controversial figure even within the right. So he posted Ashley Biden's diary, which was filled with all these personal details about her struggles with addiction, but is really of like you know, uh, absolutely zero news value. I mean, it really felt like uh, we have this and we're just going to put it out there just to inflict some pain on people. So as it comes out later, though, uh, apparently the Biden, someone in the Biden family or Biden camp reported to the DOJ during the presidential election that Ashley Biden's house had been burglarized. So then one starts to wonder, you know, how did this diary get out there? Was it during this burglary? Now, in the 
lead up to the release of this diary, they had said, oh, well, this was released by a media organization that basically didn't have the guts to run it. Project Veritas, these search warrants have been carried out at these various addresses associated with them um, in connection with this investigation. So I think there's a lot that we still don't know, but, but I think it's certainly interesting. What's their excuse for this? Because often when they are under pressure, they'll say, hey, we're an undercover media organization. You just don't like our methods. What's the justification for allegedly being involved in this diary theft, I think. Yeah, well, I mean, there's still so much we don't know about it. I mean, I, I think that basically they're saying that this was uh, th- this was like a First Amendment thing. You know, James O'Keefe said he did nothing wrong uh, in it. And, and basically, I, I think a lot of Project Veritas' supporters are now claiming, well, this is proof that the Ashley Biden diary was, has been verified because, you know, apparently they were looking for it. Well, OK, great. You know, at least with the Hunter Biden laptop, you had a lot of, um, you know, Fox News could kind of spin some things out of that. But there's really nothing in this in this diary. As an observer of Project Veritas, I think this raises some interesting questions about, I think, the sort of more like the spy craft mode the mm-hmm. Project Veritas went into during the Trump era. I mean, again, this is a is an outfit that used to run some like pretty rinky dink schemes. Uh, you may remember trying to uh, get into a, a Democratic senator's office. Uh, you know, he faced some charges over that. This was kind of like, uh, you know, you know, again, like the whole the pimp dress up with acorn. But during the Trump administration, it was almost like uh, James O'Keefe was becoming James Bond. He posted this picture, this truly bizarre picture of it's like James O'Keefe in the tundra with like a, with a silenced pistol. And it says our team is undergoing intense training from a classified location as we make Project Veritas the next great intelligence agency. Man, I love when they do that in journalism school, when they take everybody out on the bus <laughs> to, uh, to get some guns training in Alaska. That was my favorite class. I mean, it is funny. Like, like, what is James? Like, what of what use would this be? Is he gonna like float in on a glider over some <laughs> dam and all this kind of stuff? Like, and so this is like, you know, the New York Times has done a lot of reporting on this. Basically, this is when a lot of former spies or people with connections to uh, private military stuff get involved. Uh, Eric Prince starts of, of Blackwater fame and and being uh, Betsy DeVos's brother's fame uh, starts trying to recruit former spies to work for Project Veritas or to advise them. Um, This former British spy gets involved. And, uh, you know, various people start really kind of trying to train up Project Veritas to the extent that, you know, at one point they have this this kind of former spycraft guy teaching them and he quits because he gets so frustrated because the the Project Veritas trainees are so incompetent. And, you know, so there are a lot of great stories associated with that. But one wonders if this hasn't potentially opened them up to some legal issues. And correct me if I'm wrong here, but this isn't the only legal issue they are facing right now. I think they are facing at least one lawsuit concurrently. Yeah. So this is super interesting. So this is finally going to trial in December. So this is a case involving this Democratic consulting group called Democracy Partners. This is going to be a civil lawsuit. And basically during the 2016 campaign, this woman working for Project Veritas using a fake name, got an internship at Democracy Partners, and they had this whole cover story. And she started recording them and all this stuff. And basically, they get these, the the recordings were used by Project Veritas kind of threw this group into chaos. Uh, Its founder had to resign from whatever work he was doing for the Clinton campaign. And so now they've been suing Democracy Partners has been suing Project Veritas and O'Keefe, basically claiming that this went far beyond any sort of journalistic role into into outright deception and 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 uh, and I believe wiretapping. Yeah, that'll that'll get you. You know, it's funny O'Keefe and the Project Veritas of the world. They want so desperately to be legitimate 
media organizations. And yet there's a pretty standard code of conduct, even, you know, in a bipartisan way across media organizations. You say who you are. You don't illegally record. You know, you don't take a job someplace and lie about it. And it's it's funny that they want this spycraft element and they also want to be, you know, the right-wing ProPublica or something. And you can't really have it both ways. (laughs) Well, you you know, it's funny. I was talking to a supporter of O'Keefe's and he said, well, you know, look, I mean, media does undercover work all the time. And I was like, not really. Not really. I mean, I can think of, you know, famous case like you know a handful of cases maybe going back to the 50s and then he said well well maybe you should maybe the problem is you're not doing enough undercover work and you you want us to like uh <laughs> i think that the, what's interesting about this trial is like o'keefe is on the witness list a lot of various project veritas people are so i think there's a good chance that this could get uh, pretty interesting in terms of just like what it uncovers about the way project veritas operates i mean we know this is a group that has ties pretty close ties to donald trump and you know his various associates so I think this uh, this trial could get interesting, and that's not even you know getting into what what might come from the FBI investigation. So Kelly, you've been following the the reaction online to these deaths at the Travis Scott concert in Houston. What are you seeing out there? So there are the obvious reactions. You know, this is tragic. It resulted in the death of a 14 year old. I think the eight deaths range from ages 14 to 27. There are um, there's a lot of good accounting coming out about how this stampede event could have happened. Um, the crowd control measures that were being used, all that's good and necessary. But we also have some amateur sleuths starting to work and saying that this is um, actually a mass uh, sacrifice in a satanic ritual led by Travis Scott. So this is, I think, a little more worrying than people realize. It's a little um, more politically loaded than just some Illuminati conspiracy theory going on here. Basically, the allegation is that at this Astro World concert, Travis Scott was secretly holding a big ritual and he planned to kill people as a sacrifice. This narrative is being pushed by a really weird combination of people online right now. It's QAnon types who are just always ready with the hoax narrative. It's interesting. They're doing the opposite of the COVID thing right now, saying that, you know, hundreds of people actually died and it's being covered up. There's also the, uh, yeah, there's also the racists who just want any excuse to call rap music degenerate. There's a coalition of, I'd say, like TikTok clout chasers and weird people you'd come across in like 2011. I feel like when there were all those conspiracy theories that Beyonce was the head of the Illuminati. And they're all making this weird conspiratorial slurry online where they are digging into footage of this horrible tragedy and trying to make it into like a a Ghostbusters thing. And this isn't just me, you know, trawling through really weird elements of the internet. This is huge. Um, One TikTok that I saw yesterday, only been online for a day, received a million views in a day claiming that the stage was a portal into literal hell. So this is the narrative now circulating around this tragedy. And... (laughs) I mean, it, it is funny at the sort of the, at the center of all these things. It's like, well, that's not real. <laughs> I mean, you, know, you can say whatever you want, but that's not a real thing. Yeah. And, that, and that's the thing. And that's the issue. So I have to tell you, like, I have got more angry emails about this story I wrote yesterday than anything in the past, I'd say, two months. This is I haven't got this many angry emails since I wrote about ivermectin. So, so what are people like, like? Like, what's the thrust of these emails? The thrust is basically that um, how dare you say that? 
satanic rites aren't happening all around us. And this is where I think I really, I come into a fundamental uh, philosophical clash with uh, some folks on the internet where I say, no, Travis Scott is not literally doing Levian Satanism on stage. Uh, and other people say that, you know, I'm, I'm literally going to hell for expressing that. But it's weird because you're starting to see this crossover between people who are pushing this for very cynical reasons. You know, they know that this gets them page views for their QAnon-adjacent stuff. And, like, Gen Z folks who are a little bit more um, receptive to certain kinds of conspiracy theories, they might not be fully QAnon, but they are, say, receptive to, like, the Wayfair conspiracy theory that also went viral on TikTok. And so you're seeing these weird shades of conspiracy theories where there's a, a softer, like, leftier tinge to this. I'm seeing, like, people with anime avatars using astrology to argue that this was a satanic ritual. And then then you got to go in and argue that you don't believe in astrology and then everybody online gets mad at you. So it's it's a really <laughs> different uh, – it's a different uh, – stadium of of debate than i'm used to i'll tell you kelly i was recently with a group of roughly 20 people in college uh talking to them about journalism and costar came up the astrology mm -hmm. app and literally all of them pulled they were like here's what my costar says every one of them and this wasn't like the college astrology club it, it is endemic and what i resent so much is that my sign is exactly correct i hate it you just have no idea <laughs> So, I mean, I think this, 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 it has been truly bizarre to watch this Satanism thing like, explode as, as a concept. Like, the Occam's razor is that it's Satanism and not say that, you know, the crowd was packed too tightly. So, the, uh, you know, I, I was reading on these various threads reacting to it, and people were like, well, I mean, the, I, look, obviously it was a Satanic sacrifice. There, you know, there you have it. It is an odd thing. I mean, it, it really spreads so much on TikTok. Uh, despite the fact that Satanism is not a real thing. And if I could riff for a moment, you know who I really have it out for? Or no, I don't, I don't have it out for him, but I, but I have a beef with, I guess, is the Church of Satan, right? Hmm. The topic of Satanism comes up more in my work than you might expect, or maybe you would expect, but like it comes up a lot. And so then you have to say, oh, Satanism is not real. No one's really actually sacrificing children or drinking their blood for adrenochrome, whatever. And then the Church of Satan says, ah, ha, maybe we are. And it's like, you're not really, though. <laughs> oh, they're, they're just Halloween LARPers. And it's so, so annoying. Not to mention actual allegations of misconduct within that organization. But they're it's just the most hot topic mall goth stuff. And it really, really, really complicates the ability to like fairly report on the plausibility of these things. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, they love to be like, well, we're not quite Satanists. We just worship, you know, hedonism and self-expression. And it's like, well, that's a gr that group's already exists and it's called cryptocurrency people, you know? <laughs> and so you can go off and do that. But but the Church of Satan people, it's very like legalistic and they're really annoying. Anyway, so that's kind of a, a different topic. But but yeah, I mean, the, these TikToks where like, you know, people will, they'll put up like a video of these like flames or something and then they go like, like, hmm, this is messed up. What do you think of this? That sounds like every concert. I went to a Green Day concert when I was like a kid. I think they had flames there. I was with my dad. Like, it's, it's this is extremely tame. And like, people will be like, oh, well, Travis Scott referenced the devil. So has every other like metal rock rap outfit for the past 50 years you want to go after the rolling stones for sympathy for the devil like this is just the the tamest edgelord stuff and it's so common and yet when it is 
politically expedient people will be like, aha, the, the left is out here again pushing a satanic agenda. No, that's not real. What do you think it is that that this kind of uh, satanic panic is? You, you, I mean, you mentioned several different disparate groups. I mean, we can think of kind of queuing on people, right wing people drawing on this kind of this idea that Satan is real and is very much like kind of uh, hiding around trying to get us. And uh, and then you you have these kind of uh, TikTok teens doing the same thing. I mean, wh- what do you think is going on there? I mean, I think we are definitely seeing like a soft satanic panic return. I mean, we've seen that previously with QAnon, right? Which I would say just borrows a lot of the themes of satanic panic of the 80s and 90s. But there is sort of a soft spiritualism, I think, among certain like a uh, Gen Z and millennial cohorts. Uh, and you see it a lot. And, you know, there's, there's a huge popularity in like tarot and stuff like that. And listen, I'm not going to go after people for their tarot readings or what have you. But there, I think, is a certain superstitious appetite, especially with younger people. If you look at the popularity of things like witch talk on TikTok, again, I'm not going after any specific sect. You know, I think Individually, these videos are pretty harmless, but I I think there is a receptivity to some of the satanic panic stuff. I think there is sort of in some Gen Z circles a certain uh, Puritanism, and I think that these audiences are a little bit more receptive to moral panics than older folks might realize. So here at The Daily Beast, we've been covering the fallout of the January 6th riot for the better part of the year. But over on Fox News and the uh, Fox streaming service, there's a different narrative emerging. What's happening there? Sure. So Tucker Carlson had this, you know, quote unquote documentary that this is the the sort of the so far the founding uh, document, I think, of like January 6th trutherism called Patriot Purge that came out last week. And the angle here this time is that the Patriot Act and the kind of the the post 9-11 security state is now being turned on conservatives after January 6th and, you know, kind of throw in there a lot of, uh, of implications that it was a false flag. Now they don't like the Patriot Act, I see. <laughs> well, it is, it is kind of funny because, you know, watching it, there's a lot of like, man, the stuff that happened after 9-11 was messed up. <laughs> you know? And it was like, that's y'all. You think? That's y'all, though. Yeah. <laughs> Who did that? Um, so, so anyway, so, so this was a... This was a you know a video that, that like garnered a lot of attention, but it was only available on Fox Nation, the sh- streaming platform for hardcore Fox News enthusiasts. So this week we have Justin Barragona, a media reporter for the Daily Beast, who also watched Patriot Purge on to talk about it. And and you know to give you a background on Justin, I mean this is the guy I call him the the three eyed Raven of the Daily Beast because this guy knows everything that's going on on cable news. It does not get past him. So I, I I think he's got a lot of interesting takes on uh, on Patriot Purge and uh, Fox News generally. You watched it so you don't have to. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. 
Fever Dreams, like all Daily Beast journalism, exists because of the generous support of Beast Inside members, the people who pay to access Daily Beast reporting and who are, quite frankly, our favorite people on the face of the planet. Want to get in on all the action? Join now and get unlimited access to Beast reporting, plus access to members-only podcast episodes, events, and much more. Head to feverdreams.thedailybeast.com today to see what you've been missing. All right, we're joined today on Fewer Dreams by Daily Beast media reporter Justin Barragona. Uh, you know, there's, there's a couple of these guys out there who really keep a close eye on cable news, but I think Justin's the best one out there. Justin, thanks for joining us. Glad to be on, guys. <laughs> awesome. All right, so Justin, so you watched Patriot Purge, Tucker Carlson's quote-unquote documentary about the January 6th riot and the aftermath. Top line, you know, what, Siskel and Ebert, uh, thumbs down, thumbs up. <laughs> I'm going to have to give it a thumbs down, uh, but it is very scary dystopian film. You know, if you're going for some frights at night, maybe this one is one to put on, you know? <laughs> Spooktober, just missed it. <laughs> Justin, I mean, set, set up for the listener here, what is the gist of, uh, of Patriot Birds? What, what is Tucker arguing? I mean, just the gist of it. He's arguing that January 6th, not only was not an insurrection, but is basically being used as the impetus for a war on terror 2.0, which is targeting what he calls legacy Americans over their political beliefs. And that not only was the FBI likely involved in setting this up, but that uh, everyone is, it's targeting millions of Americans uh, to become political prisoners in gulags and, by using Guantanamo Bay style prisons. This sounds like straight Alex Jones stuff. And I know you subject yourself to regular Tucker Carlson during his primetime show. Is this worse, Tucker Carlson? Is this like the concentrated, the stuff that got cut from the A side of the album? That's a good way of point, putting it. This is sort of the uncut stuff, you know, that this is the pure stuff before it's been chopped up, you know? But this is the direction that Tucker's actually been heading for a while. I mean, he's always been a big defender of Alex Jones. I think people don't realize it, but that not only has he been on Alex Jones's uh, program in the past, but but he's he's repeatedly defended him on his own primetime Fox News show. And this is just him opening it up to become more like Jones, I would say, to say that this is this is actually okay for his audience. Comparing it to Jones, I mean, that's fair. Uh, but he's always kind of been down this road. Um, and now he's uh, saying, well, this is what you're going to get more of going forward. I think when this was initially announced, it was suggested that, you know, this is really going to be this kind of like bonkers thing. I mean, I think in, in practice, I mean, for, for those of you who who don't have a Fox Nation subscription, I think it sort of plays out like we're just going to interview some people involved in the the riot and they're going to say that they're good boys and they didn't mean anything by it. And then that's it. I mean, I, I felt like there wasn't a ton of like new theorizing getting out there. Yeah. And, and if you watch it, the, there isn't that much more new theorizing that you haven't seen on Tucker's show. I mean, he, he's been he's been pounding this subject since pretty much the day after January 6th. The day after January 6th on his show, he said that this was nothing more than a political protest that got a little out of hand. So it's this isn't new. And the, and a lot of the people that he interviews in here 
uh, like Darren Beatty, what they call Revolver News. He's he's hosted many times in the past on his show to suggest that the FBI was involved and this potentially could be a false flag operation. Of course, Darren Beatty being a former uh, White House, I believe, speechwriter who lost his job for attending a racist conference. So the bar is pretty high to lose a Trump White House gig for being racist. But, you know, one thing we're talking about this Alex Jones parallel, right? And I've watched some old Alex Jones flicks, um, especially those dealing with the fallout of the war on terror. And one thing that really interested me was he did actually talk about, um, you know, American crimes and what was done to detainees overseas, interrogation tactics. And you thought that maybe he would make kind of a, a lefty plea for that. But instead, what Alex Jones did in these videos was saying they're only testing these torture methods on Iraqis so that they can be deployed against Americans. And I think it's interesting here that Tucker is raising this war on terror rhetoric, but it doesn't seem like he's exactly saying that, well, the Patriot Act was always bad and we always should have stood against it. Where does this post 9-11 narrative come into his uh, his documentary? It is in fact, all over the documentary. He's constantly juxtaposing scenes from like Abu Ghraib, Guantanamo Bay, Iraq. I mean, you're seeing uh, like Saddam Hussein getting the hood put over his head just before he gets hung. So there's a lot of uh, juxtaposition of that. And he's basically making this parallel argument that what we did 20 years ago s- sets the stage for what we will now do to our fellow Americans. Um, and so he's saying, you know, they, you know, they attacked us on 9-11. And so then we decided that we weren't going to pull any punches anymore and we would go after them. But then the government got too powerful and decided that they would now turn the gaze over to what they would call domestic extremists within the right. And now they would go and basically gather them all up. And it's it's now happening. I mean, there's even a, you know, he, there's a lot of. uh scary voiceover narration going on where he says the black helicopters have left Afghanistan and now they've come back to America. Bring the war home. Yeah. Well, well, it is funny. It's like the helicopters have left Afghanistan and they've come back to America because there's helicopters here too. The the parallels, (laughs) like he's really going hard for the parallels here, but the parallels are not really, it's like, well, yeah, it was like the law enforcement in Iraq had guns and they had guns in here too. A big one is basically that Guantanamo Bay is now they, they imply that Guantanamo that conservatives will be sent to Guantanamo Bay. But then sort of three episodes in, they get into what they mean by that, which is the DC jail is kind of like Guantanamo <laughs> Bay. Yes. We have a big scene there with uh Richard Barnett, in case uh your listeners don't know, he is the uh, Capitol rioter that put his feet up onto Nancy Pelosi's desk and has been uh, charged with like, I think, seven different charges in relation to the riot. And, you know, one thing that's not mentioned uh, in his interviews with Barnett is that he he had a stun gun on him, too. Right. They make it out like he was just swept up in the moment. Right. And he was actually pushed beyond his control into the Capitol, which, again, is you know, suggesting that agents provocateurs were the ones forcing all these people into the uh, to the Capitol. Um, uh, but but he is constantly saying throughout his segments that, you know, that, you know, this is the gulag. He was put into a gulag. 
you know, uh, while at the same time they're showing him on his farm uh, with an ankle bracelet on. <laughs> yes. There's a lot of shots of him on like a massive lawnmower. I mean, you know, I kind of want to dig in on that guy because so this is the Nancy Pelosi desk guy. And he's sort of carried, he's portrayed as this real martyr uh, in Patriot Purge. He claims a reporter told him to sit at the desk. And it's like, these are these are the guys who really just let reporters tell them whatever and are just really just love the media and so trusting. You know, the reporter made him break in. And as you mentioned, this stun gun, they mentioned this as like, he just had a stun gun he was using as a cane. You know, it's like, okay, yeah, did I bring an AR-15 to the Capitol? Yeah, but I needed a, a cane. Walking like a walking stick. Like a walking stick. I mean, it's just just not credible at all. And, and yet Fox News takes it as like, oh, or excuse me, Fox Nation. Oh, yeah. You can't call it Fox News. Yeah, and let's let's dig in on that because there's this, for Fox watchers, there's, I mean, there, there's this distinction going on here, which is that Tucker Carlson, the most, the most successful host on Fox News, very much the face of Fox News, produces this docuseries, Promotes it on Fox News, and yet, because it's on Fox Nation, the streaming service that is corporate partner to Fox News, Fox News is claiming, no, we have nothing to do with this. Expand on that, Justin. All right, so there's like two prong here, you know? So this really started when the Daily Dot, you know, they they basically ran it out, a Fox News PR person that, you know, was saying, could you please show that this is, you know, don't say that this is being aired on Fox News, that it's actually being aired on Fox Nation, our streaming service. And so this has been taken as them trying to distance themselves from Tucker Carlson's docuseries because it's become extremely controversial. You've had people calling for, you know, Fox to cancel it or to even fire uh, Tucker Carlson over it. But on the other end, the way I look at this is that this is a way for Fox News to kind of promote Fox Nation, its streaming service, which is a subscription service, to get more people to subscribe to it, to watch Tucker Carlson's crazy, dystopian, sci-fi docuseries. And we call it a documentary. It's not a documentary, but, you know, that's we don't know what else to call it, so whatever. But that's that's where I'm at, you know. On, on They're not distancing themselves from it at all. You know, they let him promote it on Fox and Friends. There's no distancing from it. Was there ever a sense that this was actually going to air on Fox primetime and then it got, you know, got kind of B-leagued? See, I mean, I can't say for certain that that's the case, but the way it's chopped up would suggest that it was filmed to be aired on television. While, you know, it was hyped up as this massive three-part series, each episode is only 20 or so minutes long. It's a SpongeBob episode. Yeah, but you know, you half out. You can put it into a half hour slot, pad it out with commercials. There you go. You know, and it's not to say that it won't ever air on Fox News. You know, after it's done its run on Fox Nation, I could see it popping it up into a uh, weekend slot when they need some uh, need some programming. But yeah, I mean, when you watch each episode, like around like the nine or ten minute mark boom, there's just like this break that you would normally see, you know, where you're ending it right right, right before you go to a four minute ad break. So they'd say it was always a Tucker Carlson original and there's no proof that <laughs> Tucker it Carlson is, oh, Reserve no. presents. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but 
yeah, the way that they're they're filmed and presented definitely suggests something that would have been aired on television. Down to like the long credits at the end of each episode, too. There's some um, so two of the lead people on this documentary have just an incredible pair of names. We've got Tucker, obviously, great name. And we've got a fellow named Scooter Downey. We've got Tucker and Scooter here. Do you know much about Scooter Downey and his previous work? I know a little bit. It's just that he was he's sort of like the go-to filmmaker for what we would call alt-right folks. He's worked on a film with a noted Pizzagate conspiracist, Mike Cernovich, and another like far-right anti-immigrant activist, uh, I think like Lauren Southern, among others. So to bring on that kind of name uh, kind of shows you where they were going with this uh, with this program, I, I would think. And, and he not only like produces it, he co-writes the whole thing. And you could just, you could feel that when you're watching it too, like the overly dramatic tones that are being dropped in uh, along with the, the sort of thumping, scary, ominous music at all times. Scooter Downey's involvement here, I think, is interesting because so this is a guy who has become, you know, as Justin said, kind of a go-to uh, guy to carry out your vision if you're a right-wing internet fameball who wants to get a documentary to give yourself some gravitas. So he makes Hoaxed for Mike Cernovich, which is, which is about how the mainstream media is so biased. Then he makes Crossfire for Lauren Southern, who is sort of Crossfire is sort of the the 2020 riots extravaganza uh, video. But the, the style of these videos, which is, is carried out too in Patriot Purge, is sitting down with like, you know, getting some file footage typically, and then sitting down with like eight or nine really sympathetic people to your viewpoint. And then they'll say like, yeah, absolutely. It's messed up. You know, it, it totally like in, in, in the case of Patriot Purge, we get a couple suspects who say, well, I'm innocent. And then we get a lawyer or two. And they say, yeah, my client's innocent. And then that's it. I mean, there's not really, I guess this is not exactly, uh, you know, the, the the thin blue line here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, which is also funny because when speaking about this documentary on uh, Fox News, uh, Tucker Carlson backpatted himself and talked about how rigorously fact-checked it was. It was extremely well reported. It, it's reporting that you would never see anywhere else. And it's just him talking to like Ali Alexander about like how great Ali Alexander is. Well, to be fair, Ali does not pick up the phone for anybody else because he's afraid. So yes. that's an exclusive <laughs> in its way. That's one thing that stands out. It's the sympathetic interviews in which they're just allowed to just say whatever they want to say and and, and paint it however they want to paint it without any pushback. And the way Tucker would probably explain is like, well the pushback has already been put out there by the mainstream media. So I'm offering uh, them their unvarnished opinion. You know, it's really something to see him giving Ali Alexander, who is the, the main organizer of the stop the steel rallies that precipitated uh, the January 6th riots, uh, just giving him just like this sort of platform to portray himself as this victim you know, a victim of the violence that happened after the fact, that's not what I wanted it at all, you know, and I was trying to stop this and, and, and all of that nation, you know, and of course, to Tucker, the violence was just a couple people knocking stuff over in the uh, in the Capitol anyway. 
Yeah, Ali's interview is interesting, not just because he's effectively been in hiding since January 6th and is now mm-hmm. facing a subpoena from the committee, but also because the thing that happens so much in this documentary is like so many insinuations are thrown out left and right. And I, I believe he almost implies like the Secret Service was involved in the false flag. He says, yes. well, I was trying to leave the White House to get to the Capitol early and make sure there wasn't a riot, but like they wouldn't let me leave for a while. No one says, well... I mean, it seems like you're implying that the Secret Service was trying to insip, you know, it, I mean, it's, it's also, you know, I was simply trying to hold my big rally right outside the Capitol. You know, one thing, I, one trope I think that they hit a lot from the, the suspects that's interesting is people saying, you know, I was just going to make sure my voice was heard. You know, it, it, yes. it, it, it's kind of this like <laughs> empty phrasing. You know, it's like I only went to participate in political speech so I could participate in political speech. It's like, well, really, I mean, what you mean is overturning the election, you know, even violently or not. Uh, and, and, and so it seems like they sort of try to evade that. Yes. Yes. Uh, that, and to piggyback off that, one thing I think we want to discuss are the, uh, the two uh, interview subjects that claim that they were fired or lost their jobs uh, in government or, or the military based on their, participation in january 6th tucker just presents this as you know just taking their word for it without digging into any of the actual facts but uh one of them emily rainey who is the one that talks about this being a false flag in in the promo that kind of started the whole hullabaloo about this she was a uh u.s military captain but she had actually begun her resignation weeks before she actually went to the January 6th riots. So to suggest that she lost her commission in the army because of the her participation in the riots is misleading at best. They had started, the, the military had started pushing back on her because she had been filming videos of her breaking COVID restrictions and getting involved in political speech on her own. At that point, she just decided to resign. So to suggest that she lost her position in the military because of that, because of January 6th is, I'm just going to say that's just straight false. And the other one is uh, Michael Ibrahim, who is the, uh, with the D, I think he was a DEA agent, but he was actually just a probationary agent. Uh, they'd already started the separation of him again, weeks before January 6th. And he's the one that, brought his gun and badge to the uh, riot and began flashing it. And then they're wondering why he's facing charges. So again, none of that is actually laid out, you know, anywhere in this documentary. Yeah, it's an interesting case because the, the, going with this whole kind of like this idea that January 6th is being used as this kind of Reichstag fire moment to destroy the American right. The case of these two people is presented as like this kind of Soviet style purge of the military and law enforcement. But I mean, yeah, I don't know. Probably it is bad if you bring your, you know, your service revolver, <laughs> you know, past the lines and, and just start start flashing it around. I mean, this guy is kind of like, you know, can you believe they did this to me? But, you know, it, yeah, I can. Justin, you brought up a, a, an interesting term earlier, and you said that this was being presented as an attack on um, legacy Americans. And that sounds like kind of a new innuendo that I'm not familiar with. So uh, I was just curious how that's being presented. Well, legacy Americans would just be God-fearing, loving Americans in, in 
you know, patriotic Americans, according to Tucker. From what we could tell, is it, it's it's definitely coded language that has been used by white supremacists in the past. But if you were to say that to Tucker, he would just mock you to your face. Oh, you think it's white supremacy? What about me using Ali Alexander? What about me showing uh, Mark Ibrahim? He's a he's a first generation. Uh, immigrant, you know? Are you going to say that these are white supremacists? But, you know, from what we saw at the the Capitol riot, you know, good like 95 to 98% of them were, you know, middle-aged white people that, you know, hated seeing Trump lose and we need to take our country back. So obviously he's using that language, you know, to use like Tucker's term, obviously he's doing that. But if you were to bring that up, that would be you know, mocking you to your face that you're calling me racist. It's really, it's this rhetoric that describes anyone besides a Trump voter as not a real American, right? The real Americans are this kind of mythical heartland, mm-hmm. uniformly red demographic. And yeah, of course, there's, you know, a certain percentage of people of color who voted for Trump. So how dare you call it a uh, a surprisingly white leaning group and you know it's uh it's just such cowardly hedging in my opinion so i uh yeah that that raised a red flag for me when i saw that term in there as well yeah i mean and he and he throws it out there you know right in your face and i believe when he's throwing it out there he's also showing like juxtaposing it with scenes of ibrahim and like his counter-terrorist expert buddy going through like this uh obstacle course and shooting guns you know it's in your face on what he's trying to say there you know going from there he also ends this with not even it's not even very much a veiled threat that you know if if you continue to keep uh prosecuting uh those involved with january 6th we're gonna see more and more violence you know, because there's going to have to be a pushback on that. And he's 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 doing a parallel with, uh, you know, the war on terror uh, that would he's saying create more terrorist attacks. So, you know, definitely be aware that there were there's going to be more violence from these legacy Americans if you keep pushing. Yeah, it, it reminds me of something else we covered on the podcast, which is Breitbart columnist John Nolte saying, you know, what, the, what the, the left wants is for you not to take the vaccine, and that's why they tell you to take the vaccine. And sort of in this case, he he's saying, you know, they want you to commit more violence, and that's why they're using law enforcement to, against people who commit violence. And so they're, they're trying to to rev you up. And, you know, again, with the, tying into the guy who put his feet up on the desk, this kind of like the, 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 these, these poor naifs that are being taken advantage of and sort of pushed this way and, and back. So that's the case of Patriot Purge. Uh, Justin, what else are you watching out for on Fox News? How is uh, how's Gutfeld doing? Uh, <laughs> Gutfeld is doing great if you're just looking at the ratings. But what about comedy-wise? Are, are we getting some big yucks in? It depends. <laughs> you know? Uh, in my opinion, you know, unintentional comedy is comedy. You know? Uh, you, can get, you can get laughs there. But, I mean... What he's doing is one, he's he's aping Bill Maher. I mean, it's just a straight ripoff job of what he's doing, his show. A lot of moralizing and lecturing down uh to those uh stupid liberals, and then maybe toss in a, a really dumb skit about how bad CNN is or Brian Williams is. And then mostly it just 
it's a panel discussion in which he'll try to put, you know, he'll try to pepper it in with some jokes he's obviously written, but really it's just raging against the the left, which in the end is, is, it's hard to call it a comedy show other than that. He's obviously written some jokes ahead of time to try to pepper in there, but it's just more angry old white guy stuff, you know, which plays really well to the Fox news audience. So, but in terms of, are we getting any any real comedy there? No. <laughs> Damn, I was really kind of hoping for like a comedic offset to Patriot Purge. So I guess I'm going to have to uh, Sorry. take my viewership elsewhere uh, uh, away from Fox Nation. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing on Fox Nation or, or Fox News that's going to make you laugh. So <laughs> not laugh like, you know, ha ha, you know. <laughs> Not laugh on purpose. <laughs> all right. So that's Justin Barragona. He's at the Daily Beast all the time, constantly posting. He's on Twitter at Justin, B-A-R-A-G-O-N-A, Justin Barragona on Twitter. Uh, Justin, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It was great. And now for Fresh Hell. Recently, we talked about a crowd of QAnon fans flocking to Dallas for an event basically about reviving the dead. Unfortunately, it seems like it's still ongoing. Will, why are people still angry about this? Right, so this is Fresh Hell. This is the segment where we we bring you a, a slice of our, our, of our discomfitting uh, new reality. So, right, so last week we talked about the QAnon crowds of QAnon believers convinced that JFK, JFK Jr., Dale Earnhardt, uh, Richard Pryor would return to life in Dallas in Dealey Plaza. Uh, And when we recorded, it was about an hour before that uh, hallowed moment was to take place. So we weren't able to bring the reactions. Unfortunately, JFK is not the president currently, so that moment did not happen. So pretty quickly after that, though, I I tuned in. and, And so the background here is, this is kind of a small faction within QAnon, very, very small, this group that was convinced this was going to happen. And yet they were able to draw hundreds of people to Dallas where they stood on on the, the street next to Dealey Plaza where the Kennedy assassination took place and chanted JFK and saying, God bless America. These guys, I'll tell you what, I go to these events and there's always like at a moment of of awkwardness or when the event isn't happening or whatever, they, they always strike up with a patriotic song. So anyways, these Folks failed to materialize the the dead celebrities that they were hoping to see. So I tuned in to their their chat rooms and Kelly. You know, you're a. I, I feel like you have a lot of thoughts about the the cla- the book and classic fever dreams text. Uh, when prophecy fails. So I, I'd be curious for your your thoughts here. So typically, so obviously these people were all waiting for this kind of big utopian moment to happen, and then it didn't happen. So what what would you expect from when prophecy fails? What would you expect to happen there? So yeah, the the book that we've name dropped on this on this podcast a couple of times is When Prophecy Fails. It's a study of a 1950s UFO cult who believed that the aliens were coming to uh, rescue them from Earth. And of course, it didn't happen. And it tracked the uh, believers' responses in the aftermath. What this book chronicled is that people didn't necessarily shake free of their faith after being let down. They found excuses. They found reasons why either the prophecy was slightly misinterpreted or they simply hadn't believed hard enough. And often they turned to each other for support and kind of stuck together. So 
If we might extrapolate from that, I'm going to say that not everybody who showed up at the uh, JFK resurrection event left home with a new uh, a, a new disenchantment with QAnon. My guess is that a lot of these people are going to stay the course. Yeah, there was a, absolutely there was a lot of doubling down. I mean, in between trolls who join and they'd be like you know they were sharing their disappointment and their grief and then they'd be say okay you know next guy up and he'd be like y'all are idiots and then they'd hang up on him and so in this case the the main reaction was you know classic uh it happened in the spiritual realm it happened yes. and we couldn't see it <laughs> um or maybe the situation the circumstances aren't quite right i guess the deep state was ready to shoot jfk again and we couldn't do it. I hate it when it. that happens. <laughs> so, you know, Dale Earnhardt couldn't drive the car out. And additionally, there was a lot of like, well, it did happen. But people were saying, I'm here in Dallas. And I can tell you, I saw Robin Williams in that crowd. So if y'all don't believe it, you know, that's not my problem because it really did happen. It's incredible, really, because you can watch the prophecy morph with time. Um, it, it, you go into it, this being the return of the Kennedys. And now it's like, hey, did that guy look a little bit like um, the guy from Goodwill Hunting? Yeah, close enough. You know, the the theory is validated. There's kind of a couple things going on here. So there's talk that supposedly the, you know, the, the QAnon people have stuck around Dallas. They aren't le- leaving the Big D despite the disappointment. Even a few days later, they were forming queues in the grass outside of Dealey Plaza, still dozens of them there. You know, this is a test of faith, right? On the other hand, again, this is a relatively small percentage-wise segment of QAnon believers. And I would say the more credible ones are calling foul. They're saying... This is a false flag meant to embarrass us. These these JFK people don't represent the real rigorous fact-checking of the QAnon movement. Jordan Sather, who is a guy who has come up on the podcast before, but has urged his followers to drink chlorine dioxide, which the FDA says is effectively bleach. This is a guy now who has sort of become the skeptic of QAnon. And he he's saying, you know, these are infiltrators and useful idiots who are helping the mainstream media make a mockery of the Q movement. Meanwhile, QAnon John, who runs all these QAnon conventions, and literally a few weeks ago held an event where not one but two JFK impersonators, JFK Jr. impersonators appeared, is now saying the JFK Jr. movement is madness and it needs to stop. <laughs> so... People are really turning on the JFK crew, who I think are often some of the most, you know, uh, impassioned QAnon believers. So really, things are getting pretty chaotic out there. I, I love it. You know, every religion needs a couple big schisms. And I think this might be a, uh, a large one for them. I had a pun lined up, and I'm just going to go back, even though it's about five minutes in the past, though. You said crying <laughs> foul. Um there was a line of people waiting to meet a man with a bird on his shoulder under yes. a Dallas underpass um, because he was going to tell them a new element of the prophecy. And apparently they got up and he's like, look behind you. The building looks like a pyramid, the big eye, the Illuminati eye looking down on you. And I think if you're ever in line waiting for a man with a, a mystical bird on his shoulder to give you guidance, you're either in an RPG or you've just completely lost the plot. <laughs> Ha <laughs> 
On that note, let's wrap up this episode of Fever Dreams from The Daily Beast. In future installments, we'll also be speaking to some awesome reporters and other colleagues at The Daily Beast and beyond, from politics, popular culture, and other overfed, underdeveloped institutions. We hope you'll subscribe to us on your preferred podcasting app and share the show on social media or at your family dinner table. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, I'm at Will Summer and Swin is at Swin24. Come say hello. This podcast is produced by Jesse Cannon with music by Brian Demiglio. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.